Hey everybody, Mike Claiborne here, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Mike Claiborne, and we are here. We've got a special guest we're going to visit with today, talk about a lot of things. And of course, the podcast is always brought to you by Ameren, Illinois, Munganass Toyota, and of course, the home loan expert, Ryan Kelly. From early mornings to late nights, your neighbors are busy creating a better tomorrow. And at Ameren, Illinois, we are accelerating progress. From upgrading natural gas mains in Quincy to expanding substation capacity in Mount Vernon. Learn more at AmarinIllinois.com slash FutureGrid. Amarin, Illinois. Energy at work. Did you know that at Munganass Alton Toyota, you can rent a car? Perfect for any trip you might have planned during the upcoming holiday season. Visit Munganass at AltonToyota.com or call them at 618-208-2400 and set up an appointment to visit Munganass Alton Toyota at 850 Homer Adams Parkway in Alton, Illinois. Mike Claiborne here with Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert. Ryan, I've heard so much about the Hero Loan. Tell me about it. Absolutely. If you're VA eligible, there's no better loan out there. We'll pay for your appraisal and rates are about a full point lower. Apply online today at Hero.loan. Our guest today is Bob Kendrick. He is the executive director for the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. And Bob, first of all, welcome. And when I use that title, uh, it, it really encompasses a lot of things because not only are you the executive director, you are one of the great baseball historians. And it's great to visit with you today. Mike, man, it's always great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Well, let's talk a little bit about a few things. Uh, first of all, the museum and how are things going there? Because I know it's been a tough time COVID-wise for so many people. How are things going for the museum? It's been the oddest year I can ever recall, Mike, to be honest, because the swings. I mean, we've gone from highs to lows to highs to lows. It has literally been a roller coaster this year. And, and, and as you know, the museum was closed for three months from March 14th through we reopened June 16th. And just before we closed in March, we had a 100th anniversary commemoration of the birth of the Negro Leagues in, in an exciting gathering here in Kansas City at the Paseo YMCA, right around the corner from the museum. And, and that, of course, is where the Negro Leagues were formed 100 years ago this year. As a matter of fact, February 13th is when we went into the building, and that's the date that Ruth Foster signed the Negro Leagues into existence. So, Mike, I've got the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred. We've got Xavier James, the chief operating officer of Major League Baseball's Players Association, the great Frank White, eight-time gold glove winner, Kansas City Royals, Hall of Famer, and now Jackson County executive. He's there. The lieutenant governor of the great state of Missouri, Mike Kehoe, is with us. John Sherman, the new owner of the Kansas City Royals, is there, and the mayor of Kansas City, Quentin Lucas is all, they're all there as we make this milestone commemoration. Major League Baseball and the Players Association announced a joint $1 million contribution to the Negro Leagues Museum. Man, we roll out all of our plans for this year long celebration that we were going to uh, orchestrate. And, and so we're off to a flying start. And then 30 days later, Everything comes to a screeching halt, just like that. 
And, and, and it was mind boggling. And, and, and Mike, I'd be lying to you if I told you that it didn't knock the wind out of ourselves. We didn't know anything about no coronavirus. And, and, and all of a sudden, this virus and this pandemic basically derailed all the plans that we had in place. And But yet, through all the disappointment, the museum has had one of its most successful years ever. And as you and I have talked on, on a couple of occasions, the great losses that we had this year, you know, losing so many legendary ball players who were friends of, of the museum and personal friends of mine, you know, most recently the great Dick Allen. I want to talk about Dick Allen here in a minute, but you know, when you think back about the game and how many people we've lost this year from the game, we've lost six Hall of Famers. That's just the, the top of the, the surface of how many great players we lost. And, and you mentioned Dick Allen, and we're going to talk about him. Have, have you have you ever recalled a year where we lost so many good players who made no. such great contributions to the game? And they don't have to be all Hall of Famers. There are a lot of guys who are no, knocking no, on that door. Yeah, but have you ever seen uh, anything like that? No, no, never, never. And, and, and you're talking just strictly from those who are Hall of Famers. These are legendary ball players. That's not even mentioning the other great guys like Bob Watson and Jimmy the Toy Cannon, Wynn, uh, Sweet Lou Johnson, guys like that. And that's before we even might get to the Negro League players that we lost this year. And, and so I've never seen anything like this, particularly as it relates to all the legendary guys. And, and so when you start to talk about the likes of Lou Brock and, and Cardinal Nature and in particular, the loss that they've experienced, losing Lou Brock and Bob Gibson literally within weeks of one another. And, and Lou, of course, was such a dear friend of the museum, a dear personal friend of mine, and was Buck O'Neill's surrogate son. And, and then a guy like Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan, Mike, when Buck O'Neill passed away in 2006, left his playoff duty broadcast assignment to come to Kansas City to serve as the master of ceremony of Buck's public funeral service. And that's how close we were to Joe. So these were all devastating losses, man. How many uh, Negro League players are still with us? I mean, you know, when you think about great veterans of World War II and things of that nature, that number is dwindling. How many Negro League players on record are still with us? We guesstimate about 100. And that number is dwindling every day. And mm -hmm. the estimate is that sometimes guys pass on and we're not aware. They don't always make us aware of their passings. And then other times we unearth a guy that we didn't know was still with us. But we, we estimate right around 100 or so. And that number is so fragile, though. You know, and Mike, we knew when we started this museum 30 years ago, yeah, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. When we started this thing 30 years ago, we knew that it wasn't a matter of if, it was simply a matter of when. They were mm -hmm. all going to be gone. All right, let's talk a little bit about Dick Allen. Um, we lost him recently. We saw him here in St. Louis for one year, and, and I've made this claim, and, and I haven't had anybody dispute it. In the last 50 years, other than Albert Pujols, Dick Allen was the most feared hitter in the Cardinal batting order that wore a Cardinal uniform. And I, I exclude Stan Musial. That's a whole different category. 
the only person who was more feared than Dick Allen was Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. You saw Dick Allen play. You know all about him. You were a friend of his. Uh, am I warm on that statement or what? Hey, you you got my vote. You know, <laughs> and it's still baffling to me. And it hurts even more now that he has passed away, that he is not in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. I think the last time that he was up for consideration, he missed by one vote. And when we inducted him into the Hall of Game, our annual Hall of Game ceremony in 2018, and the Hall of Game honors former Major League greats, Mike, who we believe played the game the way they played it in the Negro Leagues. So you played it with passion. You played it with a great level of skill, but you also played it with a little swag, as the kids would say. You know, you had to have some of that if you were going to play in the Negro Leagues. And so when we inducted him into the Hall of Game in 2018, he was on record saying at that time that the Negro Leagues Museum was his Hall of Fame. He understood his roots in this game. He understood that he crossed over the bridge that was built by these legendary Negro Leaguers who sacrificed tremendously so that the likes of Dick Allen and our friend Ozzie Smith, who is also in the Hall of Game of the Negro Leagues Museum, could cross over that bridge. But what struck me that 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 day, those two days that we had him here, was the fact that other players were in awe of Dick Allen. So that tells you how good he was. Amos Otis, who's a dear friend of mine, legendary Kansas City Royal, in my estimation, still the all-time greatest all-around Kansas City Royal. George Brett, great hitter, Hall of Famer. Amos Otis could do everything. He was a 5-2 player. Absolutely. A.O. said that he was absolutely in awe of Dick Allen as a youngster. When he, the first time he meets Dick Allen and gets the first base, he, he was so excited. You know, they're on opposing teams. And, and he was so excited. And, and he told me a story. He says, at this time, he was with the New York Mets in 1969. And Dick Allen, they're in Connie Mack Stadium. And the the pitcher for the Mets had knocked Dick down a couple of times. And he says Dick gets up, and the next pitch, he hit it over 500 feet over the Coca-Cola sign in Connie Mack Stadium. And and you heard about all these, you know, I think 14, 15 home runs on record of over 500 feet. So you think that he's this super large individual. He wasn't. No, you you look at and I, when I first time I look at him, I'm like, all that power came out of this little body. You know, but when uh, they always talked about his guns, though. Yeah, massive arms. <laughs> he always kept them covered up. So the opposition never got to see this. <laughs> and this is pre-weight room, pre-personal trainer, any of that stuff. You know, Mike Shannon tells a story that he's playing against the Philadelphia Phillies, Connie Mack Stadium. And I believe it was like 420, the dead center. It was a cavernous ballpark. And it was a warm day. It was No, it was hot. It was July. And the, the scouting report was, do not throw Dick Allen the breaking ball. Well, Nelson Bryles for the Cardinals had a really good curveball and said, well, he hadn't seen one like this. Well, he hangs a curveball to Bryles. And Mike's playing center field that day. And he said, Richie Allen or Dick Allen, you pick your, pick your name, hit a line drive to dead center field. And he said, 
uh, it was 420 to the to the wall, and it was like 50 feet beyond the wall, maybe a little further, there was a flagpole. He said as that ball continued to elevate, when it went by the flag, which wasn't moving before the ball got there, he said, I could have swore I saw the flag move. When it <laughs> they found that ball like about 500 plus feet later. It, it almost like it had a dent in it. I mean, and there's so many stories like that. Oh, yeah. Dick Allen and yeah. his strength. Uh, and I think that the other item here, Bob, is he was swinging a 40 to 42 ounce bat. They don't even make those bats anymore. No, no, that, that's Josh Gibson-esque when mm -hmm. we start talking about that. And for me, the biggest bat that I know of is also another guy that played in St. Louis, legendary ball player from the Negro Leagues named Mule Suttles. Mule Suttles, Mike, swung a 50-ounce bat, man. 50 ounce. <laughs> he is in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And I guess if your nickname is Mule, you got yeah, to be strong. Yeah, there's probably something that comes with that, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. And I'm thinking about a few of them right now. Hey, who, who would you liken Dick Allen to that was in the Negro Leagues? Uh, you mentioned Josh Gibson. Uh, who reminds you or who would you compare him to? Because he came a generation after. And by the way, you touched on something. Uh, he paved the way for a lot of people because he went through a lot. He went through a lot. Coming up through the organization, his issues that took place in the minors, his relationship with not only the Philadelphia media, but the Philadelphia Police Department uh, when he played there. Yeah. Uh, he, he was his own man. But who reminds you of him that played in the Negro Leagues? You know, there, there are a, a couple of guys that come to mind. You know, I, I think about the guys, the power of a Boo June Wilson, who also was a great hitter. Uh, Boo June Wilson, uh, you know, Buck Leonard, who was also, he had line drive power. Uh, now, Leonard was, of course, a left-handed hitter. Uh, but there's several guys that, you know, that I thought, he certainly, when we inducted him in the Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Game, we talked about those similarities that he had. You know, these strong guys who didn't look like they were that strong when you first looked at them. And, and yet, you know, the power that he generated. And, and you touched upon it, the fear. You know, that's the sheer fear that he put in the heart of opposing pitchers, man, was pretty doggone special. National Baseball Hall of Fame, one of the great injustices is Buck O'Neill not being in there. And every time it comes around, I always hope that there's enough people who realize his contribution. And we talk about Dick Allen just missing out. I get the feeling that Dick Allen's going to go in. Uh, but in your opinion, give me some other people who you think are right there on the cusp that maybe we've overlooked and maybe we even go back to the negro leagues where they've been able to honor a number of them over the last few years but who are some people that you look back and you say you know what if you saw him play you'd have a different opinion compared to his numbers now when i think about that now dick allen is the reverse if you look at his numbers and all the sabermetrics people who like the sabermetrics and all the analytics that come with it Dick Allen checks a whole lot of boxes, and I'm wondering, are there some other guys out there like that? Well, you know, for me, and, and I'm probably a little bit biased, but you just touched on one of the names, the great Buck O'Neill. And the other name for me is the great Minnie Minoso. Minnie Minoso, 
uh, it is still unbelievable that Minnie Minoso is not in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Minnie Minoso, Mike, was essentially the Latino Jackie Robinson. And what he shouldered and the burden that he shouldered as he kind of made his way from the Negro Leagues into Major League Baseball and the exceptional career that he had is it, absolutely dumbfounding that he's not in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. He should have been rookie of the year. I, I went back the other day. Somebody had posted something on Twitter and uh, uh, Minnie's rookie year with the White Sox after he had been traded over from Cleveland to the White Sox. Uh, guy from New York, second baseman from New York, won the rookie of the year. And so I, I was just kind of curious. I went back and looked at side-by-side -side statistics of that year. Man, it wasn't even close. Many lost the, he lost the rookie of the year by one vote. Uh, and you could tell that there was some racial biasness in this decision and maybe a little bit of the fact that the guy played for the Yankees and, and how, how, how revered the Yankees were but many absolutely should have won rookie of the year and his career was exceptional. Uh, and, you know, what I love about the hall of game is that we've had a great run of guys who we felt should be in the hall of fame that we inducted, who did ultimately get in the hall of fame. So we inducted Tim Raines into the hall of game the very next year, the hall of fame inducts him. We inducted our friend Lee Arthur Smith into the hall of game he eventually gets the Hall of Fame call. And, and we were hoping that the same thing would happen with Dick Allen, you know, but we wanted it to happen before he passed away. But Buck O'Neill and Minnie Minoso are two names that instantly come to mind, along with the great Dick Allen. Um, you know, and there are some other guys. You know, we're biased here, but we certainly believe that what Frank White did defensively as a second baseman uh, is basically unprecedented. And he deserves to be in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. You know, he kind of re wrote the book about second baseman, their athletic ability, because Frank was a little bit bigger than some of those those guys yeah. who were playing second base, and he was a little bit more athletic, stronger for sure. And you just touched on it earlier about how many gold gloves he was able to win. He, he's a guy that probably should get more consideration. But, you know, one of the problems I see now, Bob, is that some of these guys – have people who campaign for them. You know Frank as well as anybody. He's not that guy who's going to go out and, and have some sort of campaign to get himself in the Hall of Fame, befriend writers or whomever the voters are going to be to make sure that his name continues to stay on the ballot. I, I think there is a place for a guy like him, and he should be in the National Baseball well, you know, we, we, It's so interesting, Mike, when we look at Hall of Fame consideration, the tendency is to only look at it from the offensive side. Yeah. You know, if they're yeah. not two sides to this game, you know, you know I think Ozzy broke that barrier. I think and, Ozzie and, and he's one of the few. He is one of the yeah. few that really got in the Hall of Fame because of his great defensive abilities. Yeah. And, and, and to me, man, you know, there are two sides to this game. And, and Ozzy was as good as they get, you know, as a defensive shortstop. In, in the major leagues, and Buck O'Neill would compare him to another guy who called St. Louis home, the great Willie Wells. Yeah, and, 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 and he says that Willie Wells, who was in the National Baseball Hall of Fame, was Ozzie Smith before we ever knew who Ozzie Smith was. Those same kinds of acrobatic plays that we all knew and loved from the Wizards, 
Willie Wells was making them with the St. Louis Stars way back when, and, and Wells also hit for power and hit for average. And, and so, but, you know, it was great to see the defensive side of this, this game recognized too, because it's two sides to this, you know, and, and it's almost like the defense gets discounted in lieu of the numbers. Tell you what, if you don't have some defense, then you probably aren't winning. And, and that's the thing. Hey, I want to ask you about you mentioned uh, Willie Wells. What about Artie Wilson? There, there's a guy that was, a, a, and I didn't see him play, but people who did see him play said that he was a guy that was in that Aussie category also. And did he not give up his spot in the big leagues to make sure there was another young guy who we'll bring up here in a bit had a chance to, to get a real look by the San Francisco Giants? And, and, and I know Artie Wilson's uh, son really, really, really well. Artie Wilson was a great player in the Negro Leagues. He's older by the time he gets his opportunity. Never got a fair shake. Artie Wilson was the last player to hit over 400 in the Negro League. Could flat out rake, man, and, 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 and could pick it. You know, great infielder. And, and and he toiled in the minor leagues for years because he really never got a fair shake uh, when it comes to Major League Baseball because of the somewhat quota system that was in place in Major League Baseball. It wasn't a, obviously an express quota system, but we all, anyone who knows anything, knows that they were basically bringing a guy and then you might bring a second guy so that that first guy wouldn't be so isolated. And, and so most of the teams had that system in place. The Dodgers may be the long exception in terms of the number of black players that they brought up uh, at any one time. They probably had more black players on their team, you know, before half the major leagues had even integrated. So Branch Rickey saw it a little bit differently. But the other teams, they were still so reluctant, even as they were bringing this pipeline of black talent in, they didn't want to bring in too much black talent. And Artie Wilson, I think, got caught up in, in that scenario and being an older ball player never got a fair shake. He, a guy like Luke Easter, uh, Big Luke toiled in, in the minor league. Luke put up big numbers when he got to Cleveland, but Luke was probably older than what he said. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that going around for those guys. They, they had to do what they had to do. Hey, I want to run this by you because we, we talk about the great players, and Willie Mays is the greatest player I've ever seen. I put eyes on. And then there's a guy named Henry Aaron, who, when you look at their numbers, they're staggering uh, when you think about what they were able to contribute. So, Bob, I'm putting together a team. Who do I pick, Mays or Aaron? Ooh, oh, my goodness. And, and you know, my $50 kept us from seeing Willie Mays and Henry Aaron with the New York Giants. $50 a month. The really? Braves offered Henry $50 more. He took the deal with the Braves or we would have had an outfield of Henry Aaron, Willie Mays, and the great Monty Irvin in New York. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Now, I did not know. That's, in, that's For incredible. me, and, and again, I, I'm, I'm biased. Now, Henry Aaron is my all-time favorite major league player. I grew up in Georgia. I idolized Henry Aaron, and, and, and you know, he's my favorite person I've ever toured through the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. So, you know, my answer is based purely in biasness. Let me put That's that fun. up front. So, in a, but in a game of numbers, no one's numbers are better than Henry Aaron. But Mays 
Mays is everybody loved Willie Mays. You know, he, he, he was that player, Mike, that never got booed, even in the opposing team's stadium, because mm -hmm. everybody loved Willie Mays. They, they loved the swagger. They loved the fact that his hat blew off when he ran and the basket kept and, and, and those kinds of things. And But when you talk about Mays and Aaron, man, you know, if my friend Joe Posnanski had Willie Mays in his baseball 100 as number one. What excited me that there was five Negro leaguers in, I believe, the top 10. And really? yeah. And ultimately, Mays, Aaron, and Oscar Charleston was in the top five. And so that, to me, was a major tip of the cap to the talent that was in the Negro Leagues. And I tell people who sometimes question whether or not the talent in the Negro Leagues was as dynamic as maybe I talk about it being, well, all you got to do is think about who the two greatest living major leaguers are today. God bless them and keep them with us. That's Willie Mays and Henry Aaron. Yes. Hands down. You get no dispute about that. And both of them come out of the Negro Leagues. And Mike, when I hear someone who I had the utmost respect for, the great Monty Irvin. Monty Irvin was a superstar player in the Negro Leagues. Major League Baseball got a very good Monty Irvin. He's 30 years old by the time he gets there. Mm -hmm. If they get Monty Irvin when he was 20, 21 years old, there was no, nothing that yeah. Monty Irvin could not do. But when I, hear, when I hear Monty Irvin say, I played with Willie Mays, and he did. He mentored Willie. He was almost like a father figure to Willie. And I played against Henry Aaron, and neither of them are Josh Gibson. That just makes you wonder, wow. damn, how good <laughs> was Josh Gibson? <laughs> We have a chance today to visit with Richard Mark, the chairman and president of Ameren, Illinois. And Richard, considering how many people that are working from home and you have families at home as well, a lot of electricity is being used and a lot of power is being used and there are still ways to save. The best way to save energy is don't use it. And so not only reminding our children and ourselves to turn lights off, but in this day and age to turn our electronic appliances off, our electronic devices off. When you charge your cell phone and then you unplug it from your phone, if it's still plugged in to a wall socket, uh, if it does not have some type of smart switch that you have it plugged into, that energy is still being used. So people don't realize all of the ways that they're still using energy. With the holidays right around the corner, give Munganass Alton Toyota a call about renting a vehicle from their lot. You can give them a call at 618-208-2400 for more information and check them out at 850 Homer Adams Parkway in Alton, Illinois. Mike Claiborne here with Ryan Kelly. And Ryan buying a home is a really big deal. Give me some advice for those folks who are looking to buy a home. Get pre-approved and get pre-approved early in the process. In fact, if you're even considering buying a home, get pre-approved today at thehomeloanexpert.com. You know, it, it's funny when, when we talk about Mays and Aaron, and I remember the first time I ever went to a baseball game, a major league game, my dad took me, and the Cardinals were playing the Giants. And he said, hey, I know you're here to see the Cardinals, but there's one guy you need to pay attention to. He wears 24 on the other team in the gray uniform. And we got there early, and, you know, he kind of was like a magician. You know, he was shattering balls behind his back. Basket catches. It was kind of like a Harlem Globetrotter demonstration. 
and he knew people of color were coming to the games and he would kind of put on a show and and when my dad told me to keep an eye on, i never took my eyes off of him the rest of the game whether he was in the on deck circle whether he was running the bases whether he was warming up and he was just flawless at everything the next game i go to my dad says i want you to take a look at this 44 guy he, he's a really <laughs> good player too so now i'm juggling which one of these guys because here we are i you know i think we can say this about a handful of players bob there are some guys who never you never saw make a mental mistake when they stepped on the field henry air was that guy willie mays was that guy roger maris was that guy who when they hit the field they might have got beat on a physical play but mentally they were always doing what they were supposed to be doing but to watch these two and, and Henry Aaron, who never hit over 50 home runs in his career, you know, when you think about over seven or 755 and not one year of 50 plus just tells you how consistent he was. And if there was a runner at third base, he was going to score, as, as we know, when Henry Aaron being the all time RBI guy. And that, was, I, that's a, that. I'm not sure anybody will get that record. It's no, I agree. With you. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. And, and you're right. See, he is so underrated as an outfielder. And I think what has hurt him in that whole greatest of all time is that he did he played a corner outfield where yeah. maybe played center field. And that's the glamour position. Mm -hmm. And but you're right. Aaron was a great defensive player. He always you know, tried to position himself. He never made those mistakes. He threw to the right base. He did everything that you're supposed to do. And, and, and one of the most astounding feats of him, in my mind, we all know about and celebrate the 755 home runs. But if you took away all 755 home runs, Henry Aaron still got over 3,000 hits. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. You know, and here's the other thing about both of them being stellar defenders. I was told once that Willie Mays never left his feet to make a play. And, and Henry Aaron was the same way, graceful, didn't have to be acrobatic. Now, Willie was acrobatic because he just he got bored, I think. But Henry Aaron was a guy who made every play. You mentioned he threw to the right bases, never had grass stains on their uniforms because they had to die for a ball. They always track balls. Uh, yeah. And in this Everybody thinks it's cute to leave your feet, make a dive and catch. That just tells me you got a bad, you got a bad jump or you didn't see it. But these guys had a sixth sense. You're absolutely right. And because he was such a student of the game, he mm -hmm. understood the hitters, his positioning. There were some people who thought he was a loafing because he made it look so easy. You know, and, and we talked about when we started the show, my friend Amos Otis, who did the exact same thing. Amos said, I never dove for a ball. No, no, no. You know, the guys that are diving for balls, man, they just like you said, they got a bad jump on it or, or what have, have you said, never dive. I never dive for a ball. <laughs> you know, it, it's, and I'm a firm believer in that. And 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 I respect the guys of the day. I don't take anything away from them. But those guys were just so, so good. Hey, I want to ask you, you, the museum's been around for what over 30 years now. And there's been millions of people that have come through there. What's the one thing that you still beam about when people come in and, and, and whether you're giving the tour or someone else is or they're just coming in, just taking things in? 
what's the one thing about the museum that everybody, if they haven't been there, and shame on them, if you're a baseball fan, you haven't been to the museum, shame on you. But what's the one thing you feel is the mo one of the cherished items of the museum? Uh, because there are a lot of rare artifacts for sure, but what's the one thing you still glow about? You know, our, our field of legends, Mike, I think is one of the yeah. most amazing displays in any museum anywhere in the world. And, and folks, the field of legends is a mock baseball diamond that houses 10 of 12 life-size bronze sculptures of Negro League greats. And they're all cast in position as if they were playing a game and they represent 10 of the first group of Negro Leaguers to be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And we built the entire exhibition around this baseball diamond. So we essentially segregate you from the field. You have to learn their story and then you are allowed to take the field. And, and I'm not lying, Mike, and I've seen this on many occasions. When people make their way onto that field, you feel it. And you look into these statues' eyes and you can't help but wonder when the lights go off and everybody, the dust kind of settles, that they probably start throwing that ball around the whole <laughs> there, man, because they are so amazing. And the thing that I remember when we opened the museum, the new museum in 1997, and our friend Ozzie Smith was one of our special guests. I mean, it was a star-studded celebration. So Oz is here, Lou Brock is here, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Ken Burns. I mean, the list just went on and on you know, Rachel Robinson, Sharon Robinson, all here for the opening of our new facility. And Ozzy, we had a reception here at the museum before the big gala. And when Oz made it to the field, he said it was one of the eeriest feelings he ever had in his life. It was very emotional for him because he understood that he stood on the shoulders of these immortal players to become the wizard that gave him the opportunity to fashion a Hall of Fame career. And it hit him, you know, at that moment, you know, because he obviously understands his place in this game. There is no Ozzy Smith if it's not for Mule Suttles and Willie Wells and those other stars mm -hmm. of the Negro Leagues. And I think all of that came cascading down on him when he walked out on that field. And, and it, it can be a highly emotional experience. And, and I've seen that, you know, as people take their photographs with the statues yeah. and man, you know, you stand there on the mound next to Satchel and, and, and you can feel the spirit of Satchel and, and, and his battery mate, Josh Gibson. And it just leads you to wonder, man, what was that tandem like? You know, Satchel Page pitching to Josh Gibson, you know, and, and he's your catcher, and it, it, it's spellbound. It really is. You know, I was talking to somebody once about Josh Gibson, and, and that same conversation came up about, man, what, what would it be like if Satchel Page was pitching to uh, Josh Gibson? And I said, well, we'd never know how good of an arm Josh Gibson, Gibson has as far as trying to throw people out because I don't think anybody can get on first base. <laughs> So we don't know if Josh Gibson could throw or not if he had a chance to play with Satchel. Yeah, as Buck would say, you know, Satchel said, he said, okay, Nancy, just get me one. 
Give me one and, and we'll be good. <laughs> That's all I need. Just one. Hey, Bob, uh, for you, what do you have planned? Uh, 20, is 2020 is just almost in the rearview mirror. The vaccine's on the way. And hopefully we'll have some normalcy in 21 at some point. Uh, what are some of the plans you have for the museum? And, and hopefully, can we get a jump start? Can we get a reset on honoring this 100, uh, this, this first? Can we, do, can, we, can we move it into 21 at some point and do it the right way? Yeah, no, we and we absolutely will, Mike, because while we've had a fairly successful 100th anniversary in the midst of the madness, you know, I mm -hmm. talked about the million dollar gift, and then we did the amazing virtual tip your cap to the Negro Leagues that went outstanding, by the way. I mean, yeah. everybody, I didn't get a chance to tip mine, but everybody I knew was uh, doing uh, that. I know Mike Schilt was big with it and a number of other people here in St. Louis. What a great concept. What a great yeah, idea. Man, you know, it, it, and the thing just took off for U.S. presidents, President Obama, Clinton, Bush, and Carter, all tipping their cap. And then the likes of Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Billie Jean King and Bob Costas and Stephen Colbert, Conan O'Brien. And, and Mike, when we went literally into outer space and got a tip right. of the cap from astronaut Chris Cassidy, who was aboard the International Space Shuttle, I knew then we had something pretty doggone special. You know, I think you made the big time. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and then that, and even though we couldn't have the National Day of Recognition with fans in the stands, but August 16th, when Major League Baseball, for the first time ever, all Major League teams honored the Negro Leagues by wearing the 100th anniversary patch on their uniforms and the level of engagement that occurred that day. And for me, Mike, it was a 17-hour day. I started at 5 in the morning doing the Korean Baseball League interviews on the Korean Baseball League uh, and, and ended about 10 o'clock that night. And so I am absolutely exhausted. But, Mike, it was the most gratifying level of exhaustion that I'd ever experienced because of the engagement that was being generated around the Negro Leagues and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And I found myself throughout that day reflecting on my friend Buck O'Neill, who when I met him for the first time in 1993, I remember one of the first things I ever asked him was, Buck, what motivated you to want to build a Negro Leagues Baseball Museum? And Mike, what he said to me was very succinct but also very profound so that we would be remembered. And on August 16th, man, they were being remembered in ways in which I don't think Buck O'Neill would have ever dreamed. And, and then most recently, the passage of legislation signed into law by the president that will now give us a U.S. Mint commemorative coin that will be minted in 2022. These coins are not easy to get. You know, maybe two a year, highly competitive, and you have to get three quarters or better of Congress to sign off on it. Well, as you know, to get the Democrats and the Republicans to do anything. I agree. Yeah. And, and so we were successful in getting that. The coin will be minted in 2022. It is a tremendous feather in the cap of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. 
But beyond the prestige, Mike, this coin has an opportunity to generate as much as $6 million in revenue for the museum if we can sell them through. And, and so it has been a tremendously successful year, even in the midst of the madness and all the devastating losses that we experienced. But we're going to keep the celebration rolling into 2021. We've already come up with the theme for next year, Negro Leagues 101. And, and I joke all the time for those of us who took any college level 100 level courses, those were the only ones I passed. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you know, I'm glad to know that I wasn't by myself. No need to take this over again. No, 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 no. When we got to those three and 400 level, Exactly. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, I'm gonna try and find something else. There's gotta be a PE class around here somewhere. <laughs> hey, Bob, man, this has been a blast to catch up with you. Uh, we covered a lot of ground talking about the greats and, and what the future holds. And and I can't thank you enough for your time, but more importantly, you and your staff and what you guys do with this museum. And, and I tell you, one of the things that I get a big kick out of. Because while we think Negro League Baseball Museum, white baseball players and white fans get a kick out of this because it's such a learning experience for them. Uh, and you've had a lot of players that have come over there who currently play or used to play who walk out of there unbeknownst of, of all the things that they were able to inhale by being there. And I, I tip my cap to you and your staff for making this available, not just for people of color, but for people who love this game or who just want to learn about this country and all the great things that has been provided courtesy of the Negro Leagues. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I appreciate all the guys that you continually bring over to experience the Negro Leagues Museum. And for me, it never gets old. Every time, Mike, I get a chance to take one of the young athletes through the museum and it doesn't matter what color they are. But, you know, we talk about this, the bond that they share with the Negro Leagues, love of the game, simply love yeah. of the game. And yeah, and as I share with them, you will never see a greater example of love of the game than you do when you walk through the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, because they had to love it in order to endure the things that they had to endure just to play this game. And, and, and the athlete understands how difficult this game is to play under the best of circumstances, no less against the backdrop of American segregation, where you could go into a town, fill up the ballpark, and yet not be able to get a meal from the same fans who had just cheered you or not have a place to stay. So they slept on the bus and would eat their peanut butter and crackers. Man, that resonates with everybody. Yeah, it really and yet they would never allow that adversity to kill their love of the game. And, and that's why it's so triumphant in nature. As you know, there's nothing sad about this story. Now the circumstances were sad, but what they did to overcome the adversity, that is as American as it gets. And you feel that by the time you walk away from this experience at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. He's Bob Kendrick, baseball, Negro League Baseball Museum, executive director. Folks, go over to Kansas City and check it out. It's well worth it. It's a very feasible way to get there. You go down I-70, a lot of ways to get there. Come on. <laughs> go over and see them. And they can also check out things on the website as well. Give Absolutely. the website information. Absolutely. The website is nlbm.com. We've got an online store. There's all kinds of other information 
there for you. So please go on and visit nlbm.com. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, you can follow me at nlbmprez, P-R-E-Z. We're constantly updating things that are happening and sharing facts and stuff, interesting information in and around the Negro Leagues. He's Bob Hendrick. I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for watching the podcast here on ClavesOnline.com.